chapter 2, verse when wine was brought in the, ma in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if, it your, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate through, toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. There, they replied, let us start rebuilding, so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Jeshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. May God bless the reading of his word.
Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the offerings. Bless the hands that have given, and may your spirit multiply its goodness as this church and these loving people serve you. Good to be back. Feel like I'm at home. Good to see the smiling faces. Thank you, Etchell, for sharing the elders' journey as they take the comments and the work that was done by the committee, which I had the privilege of sitting on. And uh, I was so excited to see so many people respond to the questionnaire. And I'm excited now that the leaders will move forward. It's interesting that that came this week because it fits in kind of where I'm coming from this morning. I have a lot of time these days to think about what God wants me to tell people. My steering wheel of my truck gets well preached at. I read a passage at nighttime while I'm waiting to unload, and then for the next eight hours I'm thinking about it on my drive home. I'll tell you, my steering wheel is very righteous. It is in wonderful shape. I don't know about you, but... I got my overhead up there, my friend. He's working on it. Oh, we got it. Have you ever heard this expression? I wouldn't bet the farm on it. It's a common expression that we hear. I I remember hearing it for the first time was actually when I was quite young, when I was in the military. And I was in Germany at the time, and we were stationed along with an American uh, um, battalion of men and women. And uh, we spent a lot of time together between the two battalions. And I remember uh, the days and the expression I heard it when it was spoken about as I watched TV with the Americans around the year 1990. And as a, a less than prophetic man in the United States who thought the upstart senator from Massachusetts, some, some, somebody named Kennedy, didn't have a prayer in beating Nixon in the, 19, in the 1960 election. What he was really saying is, I wouldn't bet the farm on Kennedy winning. I wouldn't bet the farm on it. And when I think about the story of Nehemiah, when I think about what he was facing, I recognize that he really could jump into the 21st century. Because when we look outside our church walls, when we, out, when we look outside our comfort zone of being around believers, our world is in quite a mess. It's pretty well destroyed in a lot of ways. Yet God has us here, and he has us here for a purpose. I read this humorous story while I was sitting in my truck one day. It was about six retired Floridians who were playing poker in the clubhouse. When one player bet and lost $500 in one single hand, he jumped up in horror, clutched his chest, and dropped dead at the table. Showing respect for their fallen comrade, The players continued to play the game, but out of respect for him, by standing up. 
A few hands before the end of the hour was up, a second player looked around and asked, now who is going to tell the wife? They drew straws. One of the players obviously got the short straw. They spoke to him and said, now be discreet, be gentle, don't make a bad situation even worse. He responded, gentlemen, discreet, I'm the most discreet person you've ever met. Discretion is my middle name, and leave it to me. So he made his way off to the widow's apartment, now widow's apartment, knocked on the door, and the wife answers and asks him, what do you want? The poker player declares, your husband just lost $500 and is afraid to come home. She hollers, tell him to drop dead. I'll go do that. <laughs> our story, our journal of Nehemiah, shows us a man who bet the farm nine different ways. I'm excited to hear your elders begin to speak and to seek God's face and to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit to ask him God, what do you want us to do to rebuild our relationship in this community? What do you want us to be? Where do you want us to go? How will we get there? Those are the kinds of questions that ran in Nehemiah's mind. You see, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, and if you don't know what that means, is that he would taste all the king's food and drink all the king's drinks before he did, just in case there was poison in them. And so he was a cupbearer. That was his role. But his heart, his heart was in Jerusalem. His heart was in his homeland. He was, he was a Jew. He was, he was a, a, a person who honored and worshipped Yahweh. And he saw his city, he saw his home beginning to be destroyed. So I think in some ways we might be able to understand how Nehemiah was feeling in those early days as he began to wonder what to do. I don't know about you, but uh, I've become somewhat a little more familiar with Facebook and Internet, and I'm a bit of a Luddite still, but I can, make, I can get dog things out of there. So I'm, I'm making some steps forward. But I've also got a number of followers who now share stuff with me, and I'm beginning to read the comments and all that that goes with it, and one of those is Franklin Graham. And he shares his, his little miniette sermons with me, and, and I get them on a regular basis, and I turn to the comments and see how many people are beating him up. They're... They're disagreeing with him, and many of them under the banner of Christianity. His latest post was on the Supreme Court's decision in the United States to authorize and approve same-sex marriages. It is now the law in the United States, in all 50 states. And Franklin Graham wrote an article on that and said it wasn't up to man's government to determine God's understanding of marriage. That's God's and God's alone. That's only one example of where the 21st century will take us, my brothers and sisters. Those are the kinds of things that we will face as we walk out the door for Christ 
and go into the 21st century. Those will be the political correct things. Those will be the happenings that are all around us. In essence, we, we, we seem to be seeing God's plan falling apart. The walls of God's plan are disintegrating. But God is calling the 21st century just as he called Nehemiah. He's calling you and I to go out into that 21st century and help rebuild the walls of the gospel, to help rebuild the walls of Yahweh. And so I want to speak to you tonight, this morning, very quickly if I can, on nine ways to bet the farm, or nine ways that you need to enhance in your life when God calls you to move forward. And I want to tell you that he is going to call you. I got excited. I, thank you, Kevin. I don't know where he went to, but thank you for taking on the challenge and saying, I will lead us into this community. I will step up to the plate. I want to say to you that God is looking for many of us to step up to the plate. Young people, middle-aged people, and us old guys. He still wants us to step up to the plate. So nine things I want to talk to you about. The first, when, the first thing I want to tell you, when the stakes are high, pray, plan, and trust. Our story tells us that Nehemiah spent four months praying and planning once he began to hear God whispering in his ear that he wanted him to do something. And so Nehemiah spent time planning. He spent time praying about it. Yes, there are many times in our life we're going to have to make quick decisions. If your car breaks down in a railroad track and the whistle is blowing, get out. Don't stop and pray and plan. But when God is calling us into this 21st century, he's saying, I want you to go in there with a plan, and I want you to go in there bathed in prayer, and I want you to fast about it. That's what your elders are seeking to do in one day. They're seeking to get together and hear God. And hear God. And then they need to take that plan and move it forward. And you all are part of that plan. It's not just the elders. It's the church that make that plan. One thing I want to tell you that God's plan includes including him. God's plan includes including him. That's the way we are. We tend to rush into things thinking, okay, we can tire. The higher the stakes, the higher the stakes, the more reason to trust God. The higher the stakes, the more reason to trust God. And I want to tell you, where we need to be in the 21st century, there are pretty high stakes out there. The voice of Jesus Christ through his church needs to become vocal, it needs to become loud, needs to be heard. Thank you for people like Franklin Graham. Thank you for leaders who are willing to stand up and say, no, that's not right. But it's a big challenge. The 21st century will be a big challenge for the church. It'll be especially big challenge for our young people. I'm excited to see them standing up here loving Jesus. 
I get excited to say, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start going to the opera. I can tell you. God is going to use these young people, but he wants to use us all. When the stakes are high, plan and trust God. But secondly, when afraid to serve, serve anyway. When afraid to serve, serve anyway. Where did I get that from in our story? You need to understand that the king of Persia in those days, you were not allowed to come into the, into the gate of the, king's, of the king's domain if you were wearing sackcloth, sad, sackcloth and ashes or if you had a sad face. Esther, if you, the book just before Nehemiah, tells us about that, how believers were coming into the gate sad and they were being killed by the king. He wanted no sadness around him. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah understood that if he went before the king with a sad face, there were great risks for him. He was the cupbearer. He had witnessed the king's reaction to that. He was afraid, but he went anyway. He went anyway. It's been my experience over the last number of years to witness the church becoming fearful. And the church really is people. The church is becoming fearful. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to be what God wants us to be because we're afraid of rejection. I read this in a book and I took the quote out of it. Remember, fear has no place alongside faith. Fear has no place alongside faith. Fear, for the non-Christian, can drive them to faith. Fear, for the Christian, can move them away from their faith. It's a two-sided coin. I don't know if any of you remember. I'm old enough to remember a guy by the name of Mike Warnke. Any people remember him? He was a hilarious Christian comedian. And he was in Vietnam, and he used to tell stories about his, his days in Vietnam. And he said he was a believer at the time, or had become a believer. And he said he saw this one young man coming up to him one day, and he was wearing a cross. He was wearing a yin-yang. He's wearing a crucifix. He was wearing all kinds of gold paraphernalia. And, and Mike went up to him and he said, what's all this stuff? Cross? He says, mm, I can't take no chances. I believe them all. Fear has no place in faith. When you are afraid, serve and serve anyway. And remember this, Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When called to serve and you're afraid, serve anyway. Take the step of faith with the promises of God and he will take you forward. Thirdly, when told to speak, pray first. When you get the opportunity to say something, pray first. Nehemiah had prayed for four months. He had fasted. He had planned. 
But when the king came up to him and said, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? The king invited him, which was so abnormal for, for that. Why are you so sad, Nehemiah? The invitation was for Nehemiah to speak. Nehemiah took a moment and prayed for a few seconds. Even though he'd prayed for months, before he opened his mouth, he prayed. I find that so important. When I talk to my trucker friends or when I get an opportunity to talk to them and they ask me what I do, what a great invitation. Well, let me tell you, I'm a preacher. And I've done that in my earlier days. Didn't get very far. As a matter of fact, I remember locking two young, uh, a young man and a young woman in my car as I drove from Herbert to Saskatoon, or to Regina. They were hitchhikers. I'd locked, I, they got in the car and we were driving, 100 kilometers an hour or whatever it was. And they said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. So I preached at them for two hours on their way to Regina. They couldn't wait to get out. That's how we are sometimes. Often we just bulge in instead of doing what Nehemiah did and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, be with me at this moment. That's all he needed to pray. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't a pious prayer. It wasn't a positional prayer. It was a simple, Lord, be with me now. And as we move out into the 21st century and God gives us the opportunity and we know it's there, don't jump in. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak now so that you can speak into their lives. When told to speak, pray first. When sacrifice is called for, volunteer. When sacrifice is called for, volunteer. Do you know that volunteerism carries a big sacrifice? For you to volunteer at TBC to have an impact into the future, you're going to have to sacrifice something. You're going to have to sacrifice something. I don't know what it will be for you. I know it is for me from time to time. But I'm learning that I need to sacrifice even things that I think are very important to me, even though there are things that I think are important to my wife and I. As you're, most of you are aware, I was in the pastorate for almost 30 years, many years ago. I'm holding at 29 now, so it was only a couple. When I was in the pastorate when there were no pension plans, I was in the pastorate when there were no financial plans for pastors. There was simply what came in the offering tray. And I loved every minute that I was in it. But when I left it and as we began to mature and my wife and I began to get into our senior years, we both realized, hmm, we don't have much of a pension plan here. And so we began and have a plan to work to fix that. She works during healthcare, doing healthcare stuff and I drive a big truck. And because we're, we're kind of getting close 
And we know if we just get to this point, we can actually retire. And so for me to give up a trip to Grand Prairie means a lot to me because it means $400. But I want to tell you, when God, the phone rings and somebody says, Gary, can you come and preach? Gary, can you come and teach? Gary, can you come and do this? Gary, can you come to the Young Life Golf Tournament and help us raise funds? I sacrificed that $400 and said, yes, God, I'm there. Even though I know that might extend my plan to retire by a month. Volunteering requires sacrifice. When sacrifice is called for, jump in. Some of us in this congregation would be surprised to hear words tumbling from our lips, Lord, send me. Thank you to Mary Lou and Christine for that day of spiritual awakening, that aha moment for them. God was whispering in their ears. And when we do what they do, when we spend time with God, when we find that quiet time to just listen to him, we may hear ourselves saying, ah, okay, Lord, send me. We have all the trepidation that Nehemiah had. You might say, I'm no Isaiah, I'm no William Carey, I'm no Lottie Moon. Well, my friends, where do you suppose God gets his servants? If not here, where? And if so, why not here? Don't ever try these words with God. I don't speak good. That didn't work for Moses. I'm just a kid. I'm just a young person. That didn't work for Timothy. I've sinned, you know, I've got unclean lips. That didn't work for Isaiah or Peter, or Peter. I'm all alone in this. That didn't work for Elijah. I want to say to you that if this church is going to move forward in the 21st century, under the direction of Pastor Ken and your elders, volunteers are going to be needed like never before. When sacrifice is called for, just volunteer. Fifth, when the task is big, plan big and ask in faith. When the task seems enormous for you, when it seems way out of your reach, and you say, I'm not, I'm not geared for that, I'm not ready for that, then plan big and ask in faith. It's interesting to note that Nehemiah planned. He didn't just all of a sudden have this insight from God about how to build the walls in Jerusalem. He sat back and he planned and prayed. Betting on the farm means you pray, asking God for as many resources as you will need, and then set to work planning out how you will respond when God provides the resources. Chuck Swindle is a well-known Bible expositor, and he said this, I weary of people who call it faith when they can't tell you their plans. Have you ever heard an individual say, no, we're going to think this through? No, we're not going to think this through. We're just going by faith. You ever heard that expression in the church? We're just going to go by faith. We don't know how it's going to happen. God will lead us, we say. The responsible person in the pews probably said, uh-huh, 
Yeah, well, you'll need more bucks before the halfway point, or you'll need this before. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. Or betting on the farm is an act of faith and includes using, your, using all you've got, including God's wisdom, God's given wisdom. I'm learning to say this to my friends who are not believers. No one ever said, I have to check my brains at the door when I come to church. When a task is big, plan and organize and seek God and trust him then for the results. Six, when God wants you, don't imitate somebody else. That is my weakness. Oh, that's my weakness. When I first became a preacher, man, I wanted to, I wanted to be Billy Graham. I wanted to be John Hagee. I wanted to be every one of them I saw on TV. And I even tried to mimic them in the way I acted, in the way I responded, in the way I did things. And I soon came to realize that I'm not Billy Green, I'm not John Hagee, I'm not Charles Swindle, I am Gary Hellard, and God wants to use Gary Hellard the way Gary Hellard is, and not the way Gary Hellard thinks he should be. And as believers, we got to be careful not to think we need to imitate another believer. And to be the way that believer is, that will make me closer to God. God wants you to be who you are, and he wants to empower who you are with your gifts, your talents, and your weaknesses to move the church forward. When God wants you, don't imitate someone else. When, oppo when opposition comes, close your mouth and open your eyes. When opposition comes your way, stop trying to defend God. We somehow think we are God's defense lawyers. And when people start to ridicule us about our faith or what we believe or who we are or why we don't like this or why we don't like that, we try to defend God. I've learned that I stop arguing on God's behalf and I start seeking from the person I'm talking to a window of opportunity to speak into their life. So I watch and listen. I watch and listen. It may be over a period of weeks, it may be over a period of years. But I watch and I listen. And I look for the opportunity that the Holy Spirit gives me to now speak into their lives. That can only happen with you, my friends, if we are allowing people outside of our comfort zone to come into our comfort zone. That will only happen when we allow people that, that we know are unbelievers, that we know are walking in a, a direction that we don't, we don't appreciate, allowing them to come into our safe zone so that we can speak into their lives. I'm an evangelist. I love the gospel more than anything else in my entire life. 
I love the story of Jesus. But I'm learning in the 21st century I can't be the evangelist I was in the 20th century. I can't go around and have a church on Sunday evening and I'm going to come in there and hang them over hell and then save them. That's the 20th century evangelism. And it was good. And it was fun. And it was exciting. But it doesn't work in the 21st century. The 21st century is built on friendships and relationships. And that means it may be relationships that you don't even walk side by side with. How many, have had, how many of you have Facebook relationships that you've really never met? But you have, social face, you have social media with them. You have social interaction with them. We in the church, old people with gray hair like me, we need to learn to do that. I'm trying. Believe you, I'm trying. But I can't get all the little words figured out when I text people. They give me all these silly little words, and I know, what does that mean? You know, so I normally have to go somewhere and, where there's a young person. Hey, could you explain this to me? What's, what's this mean? They'll tell me. But when it comes to speaking to people, we need to build time. We need to open our eyes and allow them to become our friend and earn the right to speak God's truth into their lives. My wife and I are living in a condominium association, which I got elected to be president of when I wasn't even there. I was absent at the meeting, and I came home. Well, actually, we were away last summer at the lake. I came home from the lake and was told I was the president of the association. I said, really? How does that happen? I still don't know how it happens. I just know I became president. But what I've learned from it, as I'm working with the present board, many of them who are non-believers, I'm building relationships with them for the purpose of speaking into their lives. And I've got to tell you, if you've ever been in a condominium association, that is really difficult. Everybody that lives in the condo wants to make board decisions, but they don't want to be on the board. And so I've had to make some tough decisions this year because we had our hail, our roof was destroyed with hail, and our insurance company said our deductible is going from $10,000 to $250,000 to repair our roof for the next hailstorm. So those are pretty tough things to talk to 38 owners about. Oh, by the way, in case you're interested, if we have another hailstorm, we have to come up with $250,000. And so I've been making some pretty tough decisions with the board to protect ourselves for that. And my wife said last night, or last night when I go home, she says, they just wait for your Jeep to get into the driveway. Because as soon as your Jeep gets in the driveway, all the phone starts ringing, the doorbell starts ringing, and everybody's coming over to the prez. But you know, that's the 21st century, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm doing it, and I'm trying to build a relationship with those people. I don't want to be president, but I do want to be a representative of Jesus. And I want to speak into their lives. So finally, when it's time to speak, when it is time to speak, trust God. Okay, there, wait patiently for the Lord. Number eight, trust God's people and leave the results to him. Another when it's time to speak, speak and leave the results to God. 
Don't try to make God's results for him. Just leave the results to him. Just speak it and leave the results to him. We often speak and then we want to become a salesman. You know, now we want to, uh, we want to interpret our speak. I'm learning just to speak and let God do the things. And finally, ninth, when unbelief mocks, stand firm. When un unbelief starts to surround you and people start to ridicule your belief, st stand firm. Don't be afraid to be a Christian. Young people, don't be, a you, you've grown in this church. I've seen you guys. I, I am overwhelmed with the work that Freddie and your youth sponsors have done with you, with you young people. But as you step out now, those of you who have graduated, as you step out and you get into a world outside of this little shelter and people start hammering you with unbelief, stand firm. Stand firm on the rock. Stand firm in what you, you know and believe. And don't let unbelief take you down the wrong path. Nehemiah recognized unbelief when he heard it, and he stood firm. If you want to bet the farm on anything, make it this. Here it is. What God has said do, I will do. What God has said don't, I won't. That's a little motto for you. What God has said do, I will do. What God has said don't, I won't. I'd bet the farm on that any day. I'd bet the farm on that any day. I'm going to make a small transition. I know we're a bit over time this morning. So I'm cutting that video out um, that we had. Your deacons in, our, in your church have been working, and if, in case some of you are not quite familiar what deacons do in a church and what deacons do in this church, is they are the body that looks and cares for um, the well-being of the congregation. And your board annually sets a budget for your deacons to do that. And so throughout the year, they will, they will look after financial needs or other needs that come their way as deacons. And our church in the last few months has been pressed a bit. Our deacons have been pressed with some, some needs of our family. Many of you will recall or have heard about Valerie and Sylvan, and Valerie's mom dying, Valerie being the only child she has to go back to Africa to look after the, the bearing or the, the care of her mother and the other issues that are related around that in their culture in the Cameroon. And so the church wants to help, and the, the, the deacons have been able to to come up with a $1,500 check out of their budget to help, but that won't cover the cost. As well, as they were thinking about how they were going to do that, a couple of other issues came forward that also require some loving care by the deacons. And so what Baptist churches do, we take offerings. And I'm not embarrassed to do that. Because it's God's calling all of us as a church family to help out. So we're going to have a benevolent offering this morning, which will go towards the deacon's fund. 
which is administered by the deacons to help some of these care moments in our church family. So if you would come forward, the elders again, we're going to take a, a, a benevolent offering uh, to go towards the deacons fund to help this. <clears throat> 